0: Good morning. morning. Will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks for this morning, for this time to take a deep breath and to worship you. God, to hear something new and something familiar. God, we give you thanks for this community, this place of rest and this place of challenge. This place where we are reminded of your word and what it means to be your people. God, remind us of those things this morning. Teach us something new and remind us of the things that we already knew. God, we give you thanks for who you are and for who you have called us to be. We love you and praise you. Amen. Friends, a year ago, almost to the day... I led you all in worship, uh, assisting in this intermediate time as you prepared to call Reverend Nate. And it's funny because I doubt any of you will remember this, but I looked back on that sermon to make sure that I wasn't preaching the same text, to make sure that I said something new. Um, And you may or may not remember, I doubt you do, but the text that morning was John 6, all about how Jesus is the bread of life. A year ago, together, we reflected on the abundance of God. We talked about where we had seen that abundance and where God might be inviting us into a new abundance. And this made me laugh because I had already offered the text of the feeding of the 5,000... Um, And I just want to assure you that I do preach on things other than food. (laughs) I also want to share that since I stood in this pulpit a year ago, I have experienced the abundance of God and God's mercy in incredible ways. I just want to share a few updates on the ministry of Riverfront Church, especially because you all were part of its founding. For one, we at Riverfront have experienced the abundance of God in the opening of the Wilmington Kitchen Collective. The space is open, and it currently houses eight culinary entrepreneurs. A couple of food trucks, a couple of bakers, and a few caterers share this space together. And later this month, we will welcome another two to that community bringing 10 culinary entrepreneurs into our first space. Later this fall, we will open a second location at First and Central Presbyterian, this piece that we could have never dreamed on our own. When Riverfront had, uh, was approached by Wilmington Alliance around this idea of a kitchen incubator, we really saw it as one kitchen incubator. <laughs> And yet, God's abundance has provided more than we could have ever asked for, more than we could have dreamed of. And this second space will open this fall, welcoming another four entrepreneurs to the space. In the last year, the excitement around the kitchen has grown. And that space has taught me more than I could have ever asked for. It's taught me what it means to be a good pastor And it is constantly teaching us what church looks like for us at Riverfront. Also in this last year, I was commissioned as a United Methodist elder, officially joining the ranks of clergy. Along with my commissioning came sacramental authority, something for us as United Methodists that are tied only to clergy. Um, It's different for uh, the Presbyterian tradition. But for me, the ability to fully host the space of communion has brought a new fullness and a new joy to ministry. At Riverfront, we continue to dream about the founding elements of our community, about what it means to be a place of song, word, and table. These elements that were there from the very beginning And each day, we are trying to live into them in new ways. While there are plenty of days that are challenging, overall, it is overwhelmingly a place of joy. And I am grateful. I'm grateful for many things, but one of which is that we worship in the evenings. We worship at 5.05, which allows me to share worship with many congregations in the morning. And so again, I'm grateful to be with you The fruit of the Spirit. This list of characteristics that the writer to the Galatians believes will come by living a life of the Spirit. It's a pretty remarkable list. And to be honest with you, it's also a list that I find overwhelming. All of these things that the the writer lists, it's a lot. Most days, I do not feel all of the fruit of the Spirit at once, right? Most days, it is challenging to live into this life. So I deeply appreciate Reverend Nate's invitation to take these fruits one at a time, because I believe as we take them one at a time, the bigger picture seems a little more possible. I'm one who learns most effectively by real life experience, but I also love to read and to learn from authors and scholars who have put their learnings on paper. I'm grateful that Lynn gave me this warning that last week you heard from Dr. Pritchett about the Camino de Santiago, because I also took that pilgrimage, and the Camino comes up for me as many sermon illustrations. And so today, I will try and stay away from learnings from the Camino, and instead lean into these learnings from the kitchen. But I will say, if you want to talk about the Camino, after at the food truck, I'm all years. Friends, when I think about kindness, I also think about the word compassion. I think about how those two are closely related And when I think about those two words, two people come to mind. The first is Jesus, and the second is Gregory Boyle. These writings, the writings of Gregory Boyle and the writings about Jesus, have informed my ministry more than any others. If you're not familiar with him, Gregory Boyle is a Jesuit Catholic priest. He's the founder and executive director of Homeboy Industries, the industry in L.A. that has become the world's largest gang intervention and rehabilitation program. Boyle is also an author, and when I read his book, Tattoos on the Heart, as I was working as a caseworker in Detroit, the book changed my life. It changed how I saw the people around me. It challenged me to live in a new way. But before we dive too deep into Gregory Boyle, I want to take another look at our scripture. I imagine this reading was probably pretty familiar to you. And maybe you've heard it so many times that as it was read, you just tuned out, right? You're like, I know where this is going. A couple loaves, a couple fish are going to be offered and people will be fed. Right? I get it. But I chose this interpretation in Mark because I am amazed at the way that Jesus shows up in this scripture. I am amazed at these small acts of kindness and compassion that we see from Jesus. This scripture began with Jesus noticing that the disciples are tired. And he encourages them to go off to a deserted place and rest. Sure, there is work to do, but Jesus says, I see you tired, go rest. It continues with Jesus seeing the large crowd and recognizing that they are in need of a teacher. And so he begins to teach. And finally, we see this compassion and kindness when the disciples come and remind Jesus that it's getting late, and people are probably starting to get hungry. Jesus sees this need and gathers what the people have, and from what they have, he creates a feast. Three distinct acts, each meeting a different need of the people— each extending kindness and compassion. Each extending what it looked like to love. Can you imagine witnessing this in our time today? Can you imagine your boss coming into the office, taking a, one look at you and saying, you know, I know work has been hard. Take the rest of the day off. Go take a nap. Can you imagine... You searching for something, maybe even searching for something so simple like when you're at the grocery store and you can't quite find what you need. And instead of someone just telling you that it's over in aisle 10 and you not even knowing how to get to aisle 10 from where you are, that person walking with you, showing you the way and learning a bit about your story as you walk. What about being in an event That's going particularly well, but also a little long. When all of a sudden the host says, dinner is waiting. Everyone come feast. I don't know about you, but any of these acts, if they happened to me, I would probably pause and wonder what was up. I would wonder if the person offering such kindness had an ulterior motive. Because sometimes acts of kindness, even the smallest ones, are hard to come by. I'm struck by how often these acts of kindness show up in the Gospels. How over and over again Jesus meets this physical need before there is any talk of who he is as the Messiah. You see, so often Jesus heals and he feeds, he calms the nerves of, before anything else. And every moment of kindness in Scripture, it's not always this big miracle. It's not always a feeding of the 5,000 or a healing. Sometimes Jesus' small act of kindness is something small such as using someone's name when they don't expect it, such as not yelling when someone touches his robe, seeking healing. You see, I struggled deciding what this morning's passage should be because the Gospels are full of kindness. You can't flip more than one or two pages without seeing Jesus being kind without experiencing this Savior who actually cares, who's not just doing it for the performance, but who's often doing these small acts in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of lots of other things going on. You see, I think the Scripture The scripture invites us and helps us to see that kindness can take on many forms. There are many ways to be caring and compassionate. There are many ways to share our generosity. I'm struck by how often we often jump in to solve the needs before we really listen. And I think that that piece is what Jesus really shows us in this story. That it's first about coming and listening, observing, seeing what is going on, before acting. And it is in this kind of kindness that I think about Gregory Boyle and his work. Boyle writes about deep, with deep honesty about the work of kindness, He writes about how this work is often messy, how we will often get it wrong, and how it's messy because the work of kindness can't be done necessarily on your own, but the work of kindness involves people, and people are messy. Honestly, I would love to just do a live reading, to sit down on a stool and just have story time with Greg Boyle. But you would, have to look, you would have to hear the entire book, and that would take all day. But there is this portion of the book that as I read the story of the feeding of the 5,000, that I was reminded of. About halfway through his book, Tattoos on the Heart, Gregory writes this chapter that is titled, Slow Work. I don't know about you, but when I hear that title, I cringe. Because if I'm working on something, I want results. Right? If I'm working on something, I want to be able to see the difference that I am making. But that is not how things often work. And honestly, it's not even how things worked for Jesus You see, over and over he had these conversations and the disciples did not understand. And over and over again he healed someone and then they went off. And he doesn't learn always about the rest of their story. Boyle starts this chapter with a story of a homie, and that's how he refers to the people that he is working with, who was particularly frustrating. This man was known in the group as Grumpy, because that was how he lived. Boyle was just trying to talk to this guy, just trying to share with him the opportunities that Homeboy Industries could offer. But over and over again, this guy kept putting him off. Finally, there was an encounter when Gregory is just trying to say hello And again, the man dismisses him, and Gregory loses his patience. Those around him call him out and say, what are you doing? This isn't how you normally act. And Boyle is reminded that he did not act with kindness or patience. But instead of just giving up, he continues to show up in Grumpy's life popping up in moments where he's not necessarily expected. Finally, Grumpy makes the decision to have the long-awaited conversation. And this conversation leads to much more than just one talk for both of them. At the end of this section of the story, Boyle writes this, We must trust in the slow work of God. Ours is a God who waits. Who are we not to? It takes what it takes for the good to turn around. If only you will wait for it. Now, I know you studied patience last week, but I thought that this part was important to share because kindness requires laying aside our need for seeing results or achievement. It requires just being fully present with the one in front of us. That is what I believe kindness really is. This full presence past the initial conversation and into a deeper relationship. Riverfront's founding of the Wilmington Kitchen Collective is a messy story but it is one of slow work and intentional kindness. We are a church, a community that doesn't own our own space. But as we began to dream about how we might make an impact on the community, we began to dream about how we might work with spaces and communities that already existed. We tried to listen to what the community had, to listen to what other members of the community needed and to bring those two together. Now that some of the physical space, that need for a physical kitchen is met, we are now moving into this next step of developing training programs and mentoring relationships. Again, using the gifts of our entrepreneurs the needs of mentors and culinary experts to give back, to bring the two together, to continue to live each day with kindness and compassion, just showing up, listening, and then getting to work. While we strive to have kindness at the heart of the Wilmington Kitchen Collective, it's really our entrepreneurs who are teaching us what it means to live this life of kindness. Over and over again, I watch them showing up, being fully present, listening, and then acting. Over and over as I witness their interactions with customers, I am reminded that the power of kindness can sometimes happen in quick exchanges. And sometimes it happens in long relationships. When I commented to one of them about how kind and compassionate they are to their customers, one of them responded with this. Quote, why wouldn't I be kind? I don't know what they're going through. Maybe this is the only smile, the only person, the only meal that they are going to get this week. Maybe my customer is just trying to get by like I am. I want them to know that even if they are just buying something small, even if they're just wandering past, that I see them. Unquote. I'm also reminded of the power of kindness as I watch them work together. You see, the kitchen is a shared space. And sometimes sharing space means that things are messy. Sometimes it means that things don't fully get put away or cleaned. Sometimes it means that somebody is behind schedule. Right? Just think about the last time you tried to share a church space unexpectedly. Right? Different groups with different uh, priorities. It's hard. It's messy. And yet our entrepreneurs have said yes to this sharing of space. They roll up their sleeves each time and together they work on fixing the problem. Or finally, one time we were at a community event and one of our entrepreneurs ran out of their menu item first. They had sold out for the day and they were packing up when they noticed that another member was struggling. She was debuting new burgers for the first time. Her specialty is typically water ice but she's working on expanding her menu. And this putting together of burgers was taking longer than she expected. Instead of just packing up his stuff and wishing her good luck, one of our members whose specialty is burgers asked Miss Ada if she wanted a hand. Mark leaned over and learned how to make the burgers her way, and just stayed, giving a helping hand for another two hours. After the rush died down, Ada came over and asked him for his expertise. How would he change this process? How would he improve the time? None of these acts took an incredibly long time, nor did they cost a whole lot of money. But each of these acts made a difference, enough so that when I think about the Kitchen Collective, it is moments like this that I celebrate. Towards the end of the chapter on slow work, Boyle writes this, quote, there's no force in the world better able to alter anything from its course than love inmate and guard alike at Folsom Prison, where I stint as chaplain, always said the same thing about the other. I don't want them to mistake my kindness for weakness. Sooner or later, we all discover that kindness is the only strength there is. Friends, I believe that you have the strength within you That you have kindness within you because you are people of the Spirit. You have the ability to be kind and compassionate. You have the ability to live your life in this radical way with these small acts that can make a difference. The question is will we choose to live into that power? Will we lean into the kindness of God that is within us? Or will we let it go? Will we say, you know what, that really doesn't matter? Will we be too busy to listen? Will we be too afraid to meet physical need, unsure if we will ever see those people again? will we not listen because we believe we have the right answer for the problem? Friends, I believe that when we show up and when we listen, even when we don't have all the answers, even when there are more questions than we know, but when we show up and when we listen and then when we act that then we are people who are living with kindness. These are the kinds of things that I believe we are capable of. These are the small acts that I believe really do change the world. So may we be people who are kind. And maybe it is just as simple as that. May we be people who are kind... And may we be people of the Spirit. Amen.